0: Hey everyone, this is Jason Probst, That Guy in Hutch, and you're listening to That Podcast in Hutch. Today I have with me Christopher Wietrich, and we're going to touch on a number of things. We're going to talk about superheroes, we're going to talk about Smallville, we're going to talk about Hutchinson's connection with that, but we're also going to talk about mental health and how it kind of affects a, or can affect a person's life. And so I want to say hi to Chris and and Welcome him here today, and then and we'll get started. Thanks for coming in, Chris.
1: Thank you for having me. All
0: right, so l- let's start with the, the Smallville stuff. You are and have been kind of the driving force behind Hutch's designation of, as Smallville, and that's, that's grown from an idea to a proclamation by the city and an, and an official designation as the, as the city of Smallville. And then that's grown into a yearly celebration and Comic-Con that we have in town every year. And we're approaching 10 years of that. Tell me a little bit about your motivation for that, why you were interested in that, and why you were willing to put the energy into trying to make that happen.
1: Yeah, so after the the TV show Smallville ended, I uh, kind of had an emptiness in my my soul for, for my superhero show that I love so much. And while I was talking with a couple of friends, Ben and Casey, who lived in Lawrence, uh, we we started discussing. You know, there's some similarities between Smallville that we see on the the show and Hutchinson, which is all of our hometown. And we just started looking for facts and information and in comics, movies, shows, and we we realized that there's a lot there. So we started piecing things together, created a Facebook page, and and. Offered that information to people in Hutch during a third Thursday and it just immediately kind of took off. So since I was the only one that lived here in town, I I took my nerd knowledge and just ran with it and researched and researched and researched. And we found so many similarities um, that I've lost track. And Yeah, it it just took off from within six months. We had zero followers to thousands of followers. We felt it was time to go to the city with it. Uh, That was very scary (laughs) uh, to approach the mayor with something like that. Uh, But we did. We took it to city council, and they approved the idea of renaming the the city for a day Mm -hmm. to Smallville, Kansas, the home of Clark Kent. Uh, not officially renaming, of course, because that would cost a lot of money, but they at least gave us the proclamation, and it just kind of ran from there. Um, I, in 2013, when we first got that proclamation, HutchFest was kind of dying out, mm-hmm. and I saw that as an opportunity um, to get a little bit involved. I helped plan HutchFest that year, and I realized that it was kind of phasing out. And at that point, I decided, you know what, I'm going to try to start a festival of my own next year, which in conjunction with my friend who started the Comic-Con just turned into a big, big event that week in June. And yeah, it's, it's just been going from there and it's crazy to think we're getting it close to 10 years.
0: Yeah. And I remember, I remember when you were pulling the facts together, I I remember at the time that was interesting because you really did dive in and do the research, right? It was, it was. I can't remember the the details either, but it was like Smallville was located roughly here in the show, and you went in and said, well, based on this, Hutchinson fits this, and the population is about the same, and you, you found all these little facts and really built your case, and then uh, were you surprised at how quickly people adapted to this? Because um, it was a completely new idea at the time to say we want to rename Hutchinson Smallville for a day and have a celebration of that and tie it to Superman. And, and, and it did take off pretty quickly. I remember we did a whole multi-page spread in the newspaper and, and it was a, it was a big deal when we did this. And are you, were you surprised by that? Yeah,
1: I really was. I mean, the show, the show Smallville had just ended uh, a year before we really started this whole campaign, so I think it was still fresh in people 's minds that watched the show at least and i've always told people that you know you could go around the world and the Superman symbol is one of the most recognizable things in the world, so that definitely helps, even though we don't claim to be the home of Superman mm-hmm. that's Metropolis, which I'd been to, and I knew was a thing, and they they'd been going on thirty forty years at the time of celebrating being the home of Superman. So I thought, well, if this little town in Illinois can do it, why can't this little town in Kansas, uh, give a little nod to Clark Kent instead of Superman, Mm -hmm. because Clark Kent is really the disguise and Clark Kent is trying to fit in with people around him and, and find his place in the world. And yeah, it, it was surprising that, so many people love the idea considering i was so terrified to Mm -hmm. go to city council with it and and put myself out there thinking oh i'm just this huge nerd that that loves this idea and i'm really doing this just to have fun with it and say my hometown smallville but people latched onto it and it became a big deal
0: yeah And it could have been. I mean, you really did put yourself out there. It could have, the the fear in that it could have gone the other way, right? You could have been uh, that whole idea could have been rejected. People could have made fun of the concept altogether, right? And that's probably in your mind. You're realizing that this, you know, this idea that you want to do it could could go well, but it could also also open you up to a lot of uh, criticism, right? And it did. Yeah,
1: there were a lot of people that thought this is the most ridiculous idea I've ever heard of. Why would the city waste money on this? You know, your typical complaints of, you know, let's just leave things the way they are. Why are we trying to be something we're not? And I, I actually learned after approaching city council that the mayor wasn't a big fan of the idea at the time, but the other four council members said yes to it. So he, kind of caved and said yes as well. So it's it definitely has its has had its challenges with people that don't understand it, but Mm -hmm. it gives you a chance to educate why you're doing this. And I thought, you know, when I started the festival, this is a great way to not only kind of celebrate Hutch, because we wouldn't be Smallville if we weren't Hutchinson. Mm -hmm. That that's why we have all these comparisons. But it's also a chance to show people that small town people doing small town things can make a huge difference in the world. You can change somebody's life and don't think that any small act you do is going unnoticed because you can be a superhero to somebody. Yeah. Clark Kent is saving people all the time, but people don't know that Superman. Mm -hmm. So we kind of just ran with that and I'm glad that it's, it's developed over the years and kept that same message with
0: it and now i mean the the that festival has gone on I mean next year will be ten years or coming up on ten years, right?
1: Well, we'll be getting our tenth proclamation, okay, um I started the festival in 2014. I did that myself for a couple of years, mm-hmm. and then it became just too much work for one person yeah uh we didn't have it one year. And I, I was approached by Hutch Rec and they asked if they could take control of it. And I said, "Please yeah. do." <laughs> You're they're so involved in uh, in the community and can can get a lot of the things that I can't, as far as donations and sponsors and stuff like that. And they've done a great job with kind of rebranding it and building it back up over the last couple of years.
0: Because yeah, now it's tied in with Third Thursday. There's a a, a run that happens. I, I think Uh costume run, which is always interesting to watch because people are running a 5k in superhero outfits, yes. which is a, a fun thing to watch. And then of course the, the comic con still going on and that's usually at the fairgrounds. Um, and in that you all have brought in some big, big players in the, in the comic con world to Hutchinson, people that are on that circuit. Uh, and that, I mean, that, that's quite a bit just from that first proclamation to think that you you know now it is this uh very f- kind of formalized event that happens every year in Hutchinson uh that pulls in people from out of town to come showcase what they can do or what they have done yeah
1: it, it's kind of crazy it kind of goes back to that small town you know everybody knows everybody or somebody you know knows somebody one of the first people i met at the first third Thursday we set up was John Robinson, who is the owner of the comic con. And I think we both kind of had the same idea after that first proclamation. I wanted to do a festival. He's always been a part of the convention world. Mm -hmm. So he decided he wanted to do a smallville con to combine with the festival and make it a, a week event. And, uh, yeah, the first year we had, two or three. I can't remember. It's been a while now. Two or three celebrities from that had been on Smallville. Mm-hmm. And it started with that. And then over the years it's, it's gone to, we've had two guys that have played Superman, mm-hmm. Dean Kane and Brandon Routh. Uh, several other celebrities from, you know, all over the pop culture world, Billy D. Williams from star Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lee Merriweather from the old Batman 66 show he oh, yeah. played Catwoman just tons of artists and vendors and and people showing off their art and creativity uh, tons of people in costume lots of cool just chats with fellow geeks mm-hmm. which is my favorite thing in the world so you know he gets a ton of credit for creating that and it, it's just weird to look back and think that's the first person i met when i went out public with this idea and he's grown his event into something as big as it is which actually contributes a lot to our community it brings in a lot of tourism and and dollars Mm -hmm. into the city and i i'm not sure people really understand that part of it is we've created something that's not only Something fun to celebrate amongst ourselves, mm-hmm. but it brings in people from all over the country and around the world honestly,
0: yeah, uh, when we talk about tourism or economic development, I always think that uh, uh we kind of have developed a standard and we say this is how you develop an economy and this is how you grow a local economy um, but I think time has proven over and over again that there's no standard i i mean it, the Comic-Con world brings money in. I, I'm a cyclist. The cycling world brings money in. It, we, we, we have to be a little more inventive and a little more creative and a little more open-minded when we start talking about economic development because 10, 15 years ago, no one may have thought that um, a festival or a proclamation built around fictional characters would be an economic driver, but it's proven that it is and it can be. Uh, so, yeah, it's an important thing. So I want to ask about superheroes, and in particular Superman. You have a Superman tattoo. You told me a story about your nickname in the Army. Um, and, it, and it seems that, the, that Superman in particular, I'm looking at you right now, you're wearing a Superman shirt. What, what is it about Superman that like related to you or made you such a fan and such a part of your life?
1: Well, to start with, I grew up in Kansas, in the middle of Kansas, in this somewhat small community.
0: And you grew up in Hutch, right? Yes, correct. Yep.
1: and you know, I even as a kid, I knew this wasn't the biggest place in the world. See big cities on TV and in movies, and realize you're living in a pretty small town. So the story of Superman crashing into a field in the middle of Kansas, and growing up here just always appealed to me. And of course when I was a little kid, the original movies were out. So I was a huge fan of Christopher Reeve watching the original Superman movies. And and just the concept of, wait a second, this guy is one of the original superheroes. He's been around since the 30s. And they based him in Kansas. And he's out here saving the planet how cool is that so i i definitely developed a love for superman especially in in superman's expanded family supergirl superboy mm-hmm. anything that had to do with superman uh but it also led me to to become just a big comic book superhero fan in general and i'm i'm really a fan of almost anything pop culture and and superhero related but Superman just always stood out to me as being the first, the, the greatest, mm-hmm. the strongest, and someone I could kind of identify with because I grew up in Kansas too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You mentioned something earlier that was interesting to me, where a lot of superheroes are who they are and then they costume out to be the superhero superman's different than that superman is superman and his costume is clark kent right he has to disguise the fact that he's superman um which is a little different than the superheroes that came later on
1: yeah i think uh a lot of superhero stories have that hidden message in them obviously superman is an alien to this planet so he has to disguise himself Otherwise, you know, how would people react or respond to an alien on the planet? So yeah, that's one thing that has always been cool to me is that Clark Kent is actually his costume. Mm -hmm. He's not a human. He's trying to fit in. And his way of fitting in is, is being this kind of nerdy, stumbling, uncoordinated guy that lives in a big city. Wears glasses and and trips over stuff, and <laughs> will do anything to make people happy. And he's just hiding the fact that he's the most powerful man
0: on the planet. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Is that he's the his disguise is the, the exact opposite of Superman, or in every quality the 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 perfection that is Superman, Clark Kent is like you said, you know, nervous. Uh, drops things falls over loses his words uh it's it's like he he went as far opposite of superman as he could in that in creating that costume
1: and i think uh you know it wasn't so much that he was acting that way i think maybe growing up in kansas kind of made him that way he wasn't around the big city life and you know he had a small group of friends when he grew up in kansas but when he moved on to metropolis you know it was a culture shock, mm-hmm. obviously, he knew about the planet and all this other stuff, but of course, when he meets lois he he gets a little <laughs> unnerved and and doesn't know how to act but I think uh he he's wearing a costume, but he's also showing that he's a little bit vulnerable to the human race when it's Mm -hmm. overpowering and overcrowding him and that makes him more human so his personality plus the costume kind of make him the Clark Kent that he is and I just I can relate to that because growing up I was super shy I didn't feel like I fit in with anybody and I've always been kind of awkward Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't wear glasses but it's just a cool comparison that I've always had with him, which I didn't think was cool when I was a kid. I thought I was weird, but Mm -hmm. now it's like, no, this guy's cool. Clark Kent is cool because he's Superman.
0: Yeah. So did you, you kind of saw parts of yourself in Clark Kent maybe and parts of yourself in Superman.
1: I knew there were parts of me that could be Superman potentially. I always tended to lean more towards the Clark Kent side of it. Mm-hmm. I did journalism in high school. I did some in high in college. I'm mostly doing sports journalism, but I was always drawn to you know finding the truth in things and mm-hmm. and no matter what it was i I felt like reporters and and news was important because I grew up idolizing this reporter who was undercover and his future wife who was also a a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter so I I always kind of leaned more towards the Clark side of it it wasn't until probably the Smallville stuff started that I started seeing some similarities with Superman
0: you you told me a story earlier about your nickname when you were in the military in in the army, and that was back in 2004. Tell, can you tell that story now about how you got your nickname?
1: Yeah, so when I joined the army, I was 113 and a half pounds, and in order for me to get into the army, I had to be 113 pounds. So I just barely made it in. I had to drink a ton of water the morning before to even <laughs> make sure I got into the military. <laughs> So when I show up obviously I'm the the smallest kid there and uh in basic training you've got people from all different walks of life and and everyone kind of develops a nickname because the uh drill instructors they don't want to remember your name you're really just a number to them in basic training yeah so as they get to know you and and get to know your personality a little bit um, you you get nicknames and I was lucky that I got pointed out as being extremely small, being a Superman fan, especially during a time when this show about Superman was on TV.
0: And at this time you had a, you already had a Superman tattoo.
1: Right. Right. And it, it's rather large for my small body at the time. <laughs> So Smallville was on TV at the time, and I was from this little town in Kansas. And I did my basic training down in Oklahoma. And the drill sergeants just decided, you're a Superman fan. We've never heard of this town in Kansas. We're just going to call you Smallville because you're so little. It's like, all right, please do.
0: That's not (laughs) the worst nickname in the world. (laughs) And that seemed to fit. So before so there's a period of time between the military when you were in the military and when you started working on Smallville stuff here in 2012, um, that wasn't, that was a pretty dark time, but I think, and you, you shared uh, some information with me beforehand about that. Um, in 2005, you left the military, you were medically discharged. um, and that was because of, of mental health concerns, right?
1: Right. There was a couple elements to that. Um, after basic and advanced training, I I got my orders to go to Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Um, I really enjoyed what I was doing in the military. I was a meteorologist for the artillery division, which growing up in Kansas, I'm a weather nerd already. So that was fun. But yeah, a, a few months after I got there, um, things were things were crazy back in 2004 when it came to the military. Mm-hmm. Um, they told us in basic training, you know, you may think you're doing one thing, but you're really not going to do that thing. If you ever get deployed, this is what you're going to do. You're going to be kicking in doors and clearing buildings and you're going to be in danger, which, you know we all learned to deal with we didn't try not to think about it um but there there came a day where i came, went to visit one of my friends um who i'd been through basic and advanced training with for almost a year and i knocked on his door knocked on his door i finally tried to open the door it was unlocked and i found him inside his apartment um He had just committed suicide and that was a point where things started to spiral for me. Um, He left the suicide note with him and knowing, knowing this guy and growing up in a religious household, there was something about that note that just got to me. He was a devout Catholic and Knowing religion, different religions, I know what suicide means mm-hmm. in in the Catholic side of things. And his note basically said, "I would rather die and spend my life in purgatory than go kill someone else." Because I'm, we all feared that that's what we would have to do. I think, um, you know, some people in the military weren't so timid about it they actually thought it was a cool thing to do but when I when that happened it really got to me and made me start thinking about you know what if I have to actually hurt somebody or kill somebody and of course losing a friend like that and finding him and and being there while the the paramedics and police and everyone show up it was probably the most one of the most tragic things i've ever been through and you know within a few days i became suicidal myself and actually attempted suicide while i was in the army um luckily a a drill sergeant (laughs) saw it and i've never been hit so hard in my life he came out of nowhere and tackled me and uh sent me to the hospital and ended up staying there for several weeks until they decided, you know what, you probably need to go home because there's definitely something going on there and it's not safe for you or or others to be around you when you're in a state of mind. And yeah, so I, you know, about a month later, I was sent home on a medical discharge and kind of confused about, you know, what's happened in the last month to of my life so that that started the the downward spiral
0: so at that point i mean you you go into the army with the idea that you're going to be there for probably a four-year enlistment yeah um, i i think i'd signed up for three so so now that you but you had this traumatic event um when you saw your friend and suicide and and after that so th- that triggered some thinking in you and then from you get discharged. So now your original plan for your life is not happening. And you come back to Hutch at that point. That's in 2005.
1: Yeah. So, you know, before I joined the army, I, I had a baby. I had been with the, her mom for a couple of years. And while I was in the army, we got married. Um, While all this was happening towards the end of the military and getting discharged, we got divorced. And so when I came back to Hutchinson, I was coming back to pretty much nothing. Mm -hmm. Uh, My daughter was still here, um, which was the only reason I came back. But I was so lost. You know, everything had just come crashing down. You know, the military was supposed to be a career to support my family. Mm-hmm. I come back, and you know, I'm not married anymore, and and I I don't really know what to do. I I have these thoughts in my brain that I don't understand because of what I've gone through, and I I basically came back, and I was I lived in a hotel for about six months before a friend finally said, "Come live with me," and from there it was just house to house couch to couch trying to figure out what to do
0: and did you did you move around i mean in hutch and outside of hutch during that time
1: yeah bouncing uh, around
0: from place to place
1: yeah i came back to hutch in 2005 uh somewhere i probably lived a couple places before i moved to las vegas i was there for almost a year I came back to Hutch again. Uh, I moved in with a family member in Kansas City. I lived in Manhattan, Lawrence over those years. Uh, yeah, and I just I couldn't stay in one place for more than nine months probably, not even a year. I just didn't know where I fit in anymore. Mm. And at the same time, I was having all these thoughts in my head that you know i couldn't explain and it led me down just a a deep dark path of bad decisions and obviously las vegas is not a great place for someone like that to be living um but i moved there thinking you know i can get a job there i'm sure there there's places to work and in the back of my mind i'm telling myself well you're you're trying to do something good and you're trying to make money and you're trying to support the, you know your family my daughter who i did have and could see and it it just never would work for me and i i didn't understand it i couldn't i couldn't succeed and i had no idea why
0: do you... Do you understand now? I mean, do you have I mean, what do you understand now what you couldn't understand then or has there been clarity about what was going on in your mind at that time that prevented you from kind of getting over that hurdle?
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, after the military I went about 5 years before getting serious help. Um when I did live in Las Vegas is when I went to the va and went through all their testing and and psychiatrists and therapists and that's when i first got on disability through the military and that's when i was told that i had dysthymic disorder which you know i didn't know what that was can you
0: explain what that is
1: so dysthymic disorder is just generalized uh severe depression which is kind of a weird term in itself and there's a there's a few different forms of it and i think the form that i kind of dealt with was just being flat Mm -hmm. i had no emotion at all there was no highs no lows i was just sailing through life not really understanding what i was doing or seeing the consequences of an action or getting excited about doing something good i just i was just sailing through and at the same time i'm having all these thoughts of you know why am i here i'm failing at everything there's there was always that thought of suicide in the back of my mind so it was definitely a very confusing time and there were a lot of bad choices. There was drugs involved. Um, especially in Las Vegas. Uh, that I will never go back to that city. <laughs> Thankfully, that's that's way in the past. But yeah, while you're not able to think clearly and you don't know why you're not thinking clearly, it's impossible to live your life. Mm-hmm. Like I... I didn't really have any motivation to do anything. I was just going through the motions of life and trying to work. And after I got that diagnosis, it, it didn't really help me. Yeah, the military started paying me because I'm disabled, but I still didn't understand it. And it took several years before I actually realized that you need to get serious help because this is something you need to control and learn before, you know, you do something bad and try to commit suicide again,
0: which you I did. You did try to commit suicide again? Yeah, in 2010 I
1: I was it was probably the worst part of this period of my life. Uh, end of 2010, 2011. I don't remember the exact dates. I've tried to forget all this stuff. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, I got to a, such a low point in my life. I'd, I'd lost pretty much everything. I couldn't keep a job. Uh, I, I didn't drive. I couldn't go anywhere. I was stuck in my house 24-7. I'd lost contact with my daughter through horrible decisions that I didn't understand. And I just felt like, you know, there's no reason for me to be here. You know, I, no one's going to miss me. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have many friends. And in 2010, I, somewhere around there, 2010, 2011, um, I, I decided, you know what, let's do it. Uh, I'm, I'm done. I don't know what to do anymore. And, and attempted suicide for a second time. and. Luckily, I failed a second time, and from there on it it just led me to people saying, "All right, you're gonna go get help now mm-hmm. and I finally admitted, "Yeah, you're right, I probably should
0: <laughs> so during that time i mean, I kind of want to unpack this a little bit you're you have this you have this disorder um, where the generalized depression. so you kind of have this undercurrent of depression that prevents you from feeling excited about your successes and and maybe erodes the ability to feel good about many things. on top of that you're you're kind of just going through the motions of life, then making you know bad decisions and not able to is that a compounding effect over time? I mean, as you go through that and you're making some of those decisions after that, are you realizing that, like, oh, I've, I've actually dug myself deeper into a hole? Or, and, and does that compound your depression when you're doing those things over a number of years?
1: Yes, it was definitely a snowball effect. Um, you know, when I first came back from the military, I still had access to my daughter. Mm-hmm. And a series of bad decisions, like deciding randomly, hey, I'm gonna move to Las Vegas with my friend. It seemed like a good idea at the time. I could have got a job here, but I decided to move away hundreds of miles to a different city. Well, that means I'm gone for nine, ten months mm-hmm. while I live there, and I don't see her. When I come back. I get to see her still. And then I decide within the year that I'm back that, oh, it's not working out here. I can't get a job here anymore. So I moved to Kansas City or Overland Park to be exact the next time. And I was there for six months. And then I come back to Hutch. And this pattern just started repeating. And every decision I kept making, I didn't realize at the time it was just driving a bigger wedge between me and my family, uh, me and making rational decisions about what I should be focused on. And that's, you know, stability. Mm -hmm. And over four or five years, this just snowballed into what am I doing? You know I I can't keep repeating this process so let's just end it
0: mm-hmm. And at that point your your depression's even worse you're you indicated you're somewhat isolated because of some of the, because of the depressions and the decisions that have come out of that um, and you have you've had no sense of purpose, right You've kind of felt like I've, I've screwed all this up and I don't know what I'm here for and so you have that. Suicide attempt, but then after that moment, the some people, some friends, or some family intervene and say, "Let's let's try to straighten this out."
1: Yeah the the ultimate pinnacle of of my spiraling downward was at that period of time when I committed suicide, tried to commit suicide for the second time. I'd I'd lost all contact with my daughter she was adopted by another guy and i i just felt you know this is this is it i have no purpose in life and luckily my sister ha- half sister who i didn't really know that well um she stepped in and said you know come stay with me she lived in Kansas city which you know i'm thinking well here we go again mm-hmm. but I moved to Kansas City and realized, you know, Topeka's right here. I can get access to the VA. She let me use her car whenever. So I I told myself, and she demanded that, look, if you're going to live with me, you got to go get some help and, and try to figure out what's going on. And that's when my journey of self-discovery really started and I had no idea that I was about to discover all of these little things that I'd never realized for all those years prior. And it it, it definitely helped at least stop the, the spiral, but I still didn't really know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. It just helped me understand more.
0: Can you talk about some of those? What are some of the things that you discovered about yourself or – or some of the things that came out of that so this is a point where you're for the first time in your life getting consistent therapy and consistent help with your mental health needs yeah um, so, so what kind of things were they talking to you about
1: well they definitely made me more self-aware like looking at myself from a from an inner perspective which i didn't do you know all those years of of just gliding through life and and really having no emotion towards anything i didn't realize that you know this action or this action was affecting me personally i thought everything affected everyone else my biggest issue was i'm a burden to everyone else Mm -hmm. i never drove so i always needed to ride somewhere i didn't work so you know I had trouble with money um I I didn't really have friends so you know I I always told myself that well they don't want to be around me because of whatever reason so they really started making me look inside and and while we were doing that we we discovered that yeah there's some PTSD issues Um, There's some severe anxiety issues, which I knew was there. I just didn't know what it was because for years I, I would experience what I thought were heart attacks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I sadly grew up in this era of with depression and mental issues and mental illness. Your man just. Suck it up, deal with it, and you know I probably went to the emergency room a dozen times over a couple of years, thinking I'm having a heart attack, and they would send me home and say you're fine and it's just a anxiety attack, and I'm like, I don't know what that is, but I'm fine, so whatever, and then it would hit again, and and then you start living in fear Mm -hmm. every day of, well, is this an anxiety attack or Am I actually dying? Yeah. Which strangely helped me get those thoughts of suicide out of my, my mind. Because I started telling these doctors and therapists, no, I don't want to kill myself. I'm just going to die one day anyway because of these anxiety attacks. I thought, you know, at any moment, it could be my last moment. And I didn't understand what anxiety was or or what triggered it. and thankfully that started started to change when i saw these doctors and started getting on some medications and i really had to do a lot of listening and and studying about what causes anxiety um triggers and uh just it was a whole new world to me because you know i always thought you know something like this you should just tough it out mm-hmm. that's not the case and i'm very outspoken about mental illness and issues these days because of that because the last thing you want to do is keep it in because that's what i did and mm-hmm. it led to a a long long list of bad decisions that i could have avoided if i'd have got help sooner
0: yeah it's always been ironic to me the brain is an organ just like any other organ in your body, but it's the only one that if it's not working properly, we say you should just use that organ better. Right. right? I mean, if your kidneys are failing, nobody says, well, just try harder. Um, but we do that with your brain all the time. So when you start, when you realized, when you started to realize kind of what was going on, that you were dealing with anxiety on top of depression, it sounds like maybe you developed some tools or you were given some tools to kind of understand what happens in your brain when you're anxious or how to recognize it you did you get some of those things that helped it not be such an overwhelming thing?
1: Well, I definitely started to see a pattern um, before it was just, I thought this was all random and through the help of, of medications and and seeing doctors I realized no there's there's things that I'm doing that are leading to some of these anxiety attacks like just going to a store being in a large group of people I didn't realize that's what was causing it I just thought oh you know this is this is a fine place for me to have a heart attack and mm-hmm. die at least someone will find me but there was other Triggers like just being alone for too long, mm-hmm. and being lost in my thoughts late at night, especially. A lot of these episodes would hit me late at night mm-hmm. when I couldn't sleep, and I'm just up thinking and thinking and thinking about things that happened five, ten years ago. And I had to start trying to teach myself how to not focus on all this bad stuff that had happened, which is still. Tragic. It changed my life forever. But I had to start to process it and tell myself that you have a chance to fix this mm-hmm. if you really work at it. And there's not going to be any more thoughts of hurting yourself. There's no need for that. You know what's wrong now. Uh, there's people that want to help you. And you need to just listen and learn and adapt to it obviously anxiety is something that never goes away it's a lifelong illness but since I first got help uh, about 10 years ago it's definitely been a a long journey Mm -hmm. and I still have my episodes but the last few years I've I found that a lot of those things that I dealt with back in the dark days are no longer there Mm -hmm. because I've learned how to adapt and deal with them.
0: Yeah. So you, you go through that period and is it around 2012 when you come back to Hutch for, for good and you've been, you've been here ever since. And we had talked a little bit earlier and you've mentioned before about, um, real life superheroes and people in your life who've kind of played a, a superhero like role in their, in their effort to encourage you or help you. And you've also talked about seeing that play out with other people too. So can you talk about that a little bit about some of the people that helped you and, and encouraged you and, and maybe the effect that's had on your life and on maybe getting uh helping you help your address your mental health needs?
1: Yeah, so obviously I like I've said before, I I grew up very shy, very mild mannered, so to speak, mm-hmm. like Clark Kent, and didn't really have a lot of friends. So when I moved back in twenty twelve, you know, I, I didn't really know what I was doing still. I just knew I needed to move back home and Fortunately, this Smallville idea started, and since I was the driving force, as you said, I was the one here that had to do a lot of the work, I had to get out and and be among people. And it was absolutely terrifying to set up at Third Thursday for the first time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yet, there was this sweet lady named Jennifer Randall who said, please, set up. You know, we welcome all artists and 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 whatever you have. And she was probably the first first person that I met when I moved back that kind of helped me realize, all right, it's okay to be different and and be an artist because that's not a career path that many people choose mm-hmm. to I don't know, promote themselves or an idea so just the fact that i was setting up a table at third thursday was horrifying but at the same time it led me to meet people like john who started the Mm comic-con i was meeting business owners who were like what's this smallville thing all about oh that's cool this that's a weird fact just random people would start to asked me about why are we doing this and what's this whole purpose behind this and and one of the first one of the first people that I really got to talk in depth about Smallville with was someone you know well Patsy Terrell dear dear friend deeply missed she uh, called me for an interview about the whole Smallville idea while she was writing for the Hutchinson magazine, mm-hmm. and I remember she she asked me on the phone, "Do you mind if I just pick your brain for a little while about all this Smallville Hutchinson comparisons?" And I said something like, "Yeah, but you're you're going to have to deal with a big geek <laughs> with a lot of really weird information." And she just said, "I love geeks." and it was like instant friendship yeah and you know in the following months and years she became a really really close friend to me and i saw what she was doing in the community Mm -hmm. which was inspiring to me and while she was doing all this you know i i had just moved back i was probably here for about a year year and a half and I still didn't have a car well out of nowhere Patsy said here you can have this car and it was you know just a a spare car that she had sitting somewhere that she didn't use nothing special but if boy was it special Mm -hmm. to be given a car by someone who's become a fan of yours and you're a fan of theirs and it it just kind of that was my first holy crap moment you know people actually do care yeah and she's inspiring me to try to inspire others so it she's one of my ultimate Hutchinson heroes And she definitely set me on the right path with just the simplest message. I love geeks. Yeah. And it kind of helped me embrace who I am and (laughs) become who I am.
0: Before that, were you uh, like a little bit self-conscious about or aware that maybe the world wasn't particularly accepting of geeks, but here was this person or there, this group of people who were saying to you, no, that's okay. Like be, be that.
1: Well, I think living in Lawrence right before I moved back helped a little with that mm-hmm. because Lawrence is a very accepting town. Um I know back back at this point in life The Big Bang Theory was on TV. Mm-hmm. That helped a little bit, but I was also a little offended by the show because I I thought that's me. Why can't I be like that in real life? Yeah. Why can't I find Friends like that in real life and then you know through all these events of smallville i found a lot more than just a few friends (laughs) that are like that and i've worn my share of costumes and have plenty of friends that have done the same but yeah there was a point in life where i I definitely felt like an outcast you know comic books and and superheroes and you're too old for that stuff Mm -hmm. like now You're never too old for that. That's what keeps me young.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Do you, do you, since that moment and so now, do do you feel like you have a community now that you like these years later, do you feel like I belong in this community? I have a community of people and how does that play into some of the mental health concerns?
1: Yeah. I mean, looking back, I couldn't imagine. We're almost at ten years since twenty twelve when I moved back. I I used to really despise this town. Now you couldn't drag me away from it. I, you know, my thinking over the years has definitely changed. Obviously, a lot of us when we're young we don't like where we grow up, mm. and and want to get away. But it, since becoming involved with Third Thursday and Smallville and and some of these other things. Over the years, I've found myself being pulled into all kinds of committees and, and just meetings, um, like downtown events. and uh, The, the uh, Chamber of Commerce had me on their advisory board for tourism for a couple of years, which this was early on in my, my time here it was weird and I, I didn't really feel outspoken at the time, but it made me feel important mm-hmm. that they wanted me involved and it just keeps progressing over the years. And I find myself involved in all these arts and culture things and arts and humanities. And I'm on the tree board, <laughs> you know, I'm very involved in the community now and that has led to so many connections and, so many people that are invested in what i'm doing
2: mm-hmm.
1: which makes me feel like i actually matter and i have an impact on people in the city and just the the littlest thing i did was you know run with this idea of of turning our city into a fictional place has has built, grown and grown into me having hundreds and hundreds of friends that I can really call friends
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I can't go anywhere without being stopped by somebody who knows who I am. And it, it's crazy because I don't like that. But at the same time, I'm proud of that because yeah. I've made an impact on somebody and that, that helps me with all those dark thoughts that I can still get. Mm-hmm but i have to remind myself no you have purpose now people actually look up to you as weird as that sounds you you did something really strange and odd to some people but there's a whole group of people that love it yeah and that's what you're that's what you're fighting for so keep doing it
0: <laughs> yeah and and now that thing that you've been that you've that you're fighting for is uh, like part, as much a part of this community as you are. It's as, it's as embedded into the community as, as you.
1: I'd like to think so. I mean, it started about the same time I came back. And I, my name is synonymous with Smallville now, which is weird. If, you, if I go on Google, there's my name. <laughs> With all these events over the years, and it, it's it's weird, but it's cool at the same time that something that small can have an impact on a city, and people still love it after all this time. I mean, we're coming up on ten years, and it's still growing and growing. And there's already plans for a festival and Comic Con next summer. Which I can't wait for. It's my favorite time of year. Mm-hmm. Third week of June, every year, every year. <laughs> and yeah, I as long as that's going on, I'm not leaving Hutchinson, or as I prefer to call it, Smallville.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad that you came back to Hutch. I'm glad that you have done all that you've done for our community, and that you're still working, uh, to do things that I, that I know you'll do in the future. And I'm glad that you came on today. Thanks for sharing your story with me.
1: Thank you for having me. And thank you for being another one of those Hutchinson superheroes who fights for us in a different town in Kansas, <laughs> but still cares about us here in Smallville. So thank you. thank you.
0: I'd like to thank a few of the people who've helped make that podcast and Hutch possible. My son Mitchell Probst wrote and recorded the music for the show. Jenny Brigette put together some great graphics and promotional art. And Chris Acker helps overcome my mistakes to produce a great sounding product every episode. That podcast in Hutch is made possible through a collaboration between the Hutchison Arts and Culture Collective and Salt City Sound. They're working to bring resources and infrastructure to support art, music, and storytelling in our community. If you have an idea for your own podcast reach out to them at podcasts at sound.net. If you enjoy that podcast and Hutch, be sure to subscribe and share it with all your friends. You can also help support this production by subscribing to thatguyandhutch.substack.com or by emailing me at thatguyandhutch at gmail.com to learn about sponsorship opportunities. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next week.
1: Salt City Sound Production.